0: Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in. And today I'm joined by Josh Tutweiler, who attends our church here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene with his parents uh, when he's in town. Um, but Josh, just start off telling us about where you're from and I'll also uh, share your testimony, whatever you'd like to share with us today.
1: Sure. I appreciate you having me here to share that. I, uh, I was born and raised in Bridgewater, Virginia, I went to Blue Ridge Christian School growing up and then uh, ended up going to Wilbur Pence Middle School and graduated from Turner Ashby. Uh, When I was there, I played baseball there. And then once I graduated, I went on to play in college. I I graduated from Old Dominion University down in Norfolk uh, in 2012. And then after graduation, I got a job at uh, the College of William & Mary in Williamsburg coaching baseball. And I was there for three years and then for the past four I've been at Virginia Commonwealth University uh, in Richmond, Virginia, doing the same thing, coaching, uh, where I also was in grad school for a little bit during that time. But kind of the, my testimony and the story that where this takes place was right after I graduated from Old Dominion. And it was in the, uh, the early fall of, uh, of 2012 and uh, in September. I had just gotten the job at William & Mary and this uh, kind of takes place right in that September there. And to start, because I think it's important for any kind of testimony, uh, if you're going to be looking at it, you know, through a gospel lens to have a little bit of a, a backdrop that kind of uh, a base to the story, baseball pun only somewhat intended there. But I, I kind of always start whenever I when I share this actually with a benediction, um, which is a little bit you know contrary, but it's from uh, Richard Halverson. He used to be the Senate chaplain um, and he was pastor of the Fourth Presbyterian Church up in Bethesda, Maryland. His benediction goes, he says, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being there. Christ lives in you and has something he wants to do through you where you are. Believe this and go in the grace and love and power of Jesus Christ. And for me, when I heard that, it really struck a chord because I think that uh, I'm a big believer that you are where you are for a purpose and you were hearing what you are hearing for a purpose. So, you know, we may not know what that is, but I, I believe that it is totally true. And, uh, you know, you, you might be coming from one or two different places and you know, you may already be a believer, and I'm thankful for you, and I want you to view this story as an encouragement of the great things God has, is, and continues to do. Or you might not be too sure about this old Jesus thing, and I'm certainly thankful that you will be able to hear my testimony as well. And I'd just like you to view this story as a smaller-scale version of what Jesus does for us spiritually. In college, when I was going through my undergrad, I actually got a minor in philosophy of religious studies. And one of the things that we talked about in one of my classes was about how our perspective does not always match up with God's perspective. We are generally speaking a very uh, me-centric uh, group of people. Uh, we base our perspective around how things affect us, maybe not for the bigger picture. And, and one of the analogies that we used was a surgery analogy, where if you have a view from the operation of the operating room, uh, you know, from the deck, and you don't know anything about what's going on, you just kind of got dropped in there, you're probably going to have things backwards a little bit where it looks like the doctor's pretty evil where all you know is that he knocked this person out, and now all of a sudden they're cutting on this person, and that's not a good thing. That's a horror movie type thing. But in reality, that doctor's doing a good thing. And so if you, you got to understand the full picture of what's going on, where you know you think that the doctor's causing this patient incredible harm, when in reality, this is something that's for the better good of that individual. And it's, all about, it, it is, it's all about our perspective there, because we think that we're the main character of our story, but we're not. Uh, God is the author. He's the producer. He's the main character of the story, and, and we're just an extra in God's grand story. And you know, really, everything points to Him. You know, we talk about the Gospels, and we think about them being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When in reality, gospel is you know it's, it's Genesis to Revelation or Holy Bible to genuine leather, if you want to look at it that way. Um, Pastor Tim Keller hit a really good sermon about this, where he talks about how everything in the Bible is basically about Jesus. And he talks about how Jesus is the true and better fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. And he has a lot of examples, but a couple of the quick ones that I think are really, really good to use here is he says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who, at the right hand of the king, forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. And then finally, Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. And it seems pretty obvious when you point it out, but it's not something that for us, especially with our individualistic mindset, it's it's pretty radical with how me-centric we are. You know, you, you look in the garden, Adam and Eve wanted to be like God and they ate the fruit that their their main purpose was on themselves trying to be you know better than what they were and you know that's pretty pro me stance to want to be like god and uh something that kind of flipped my head around on that was when i was in college at old dominion and uh kind of dovetailing off of what pastor keller said was a sermon entitled iaaj it's all about jesus and basically the whole thing was that you know all you do is no longer about you it is, it is all about Jesus. Everything that you do is pointing back to him. Everything in the Bible is pointing back to him, kind of like what we were just talking about there. And that was a paradigm mindset shift for me. And it was something where IAAJ became kind of a personal mantra for me, where I would, I would write it on my bat, you know, because you I'm know, playing. write wrote it on my chest protector. I would write it down on my notebook, things like that, where it was always, always present and always, you know, a visual for me to see to kind of keep my mind on the right track. And so I, I say all of that in kind of the basis of the entirety of that beginning there to kind of lay the groundwork for the story that I was given um, in, in September 2012. And I'll use the scripture verse to kind of have the scripture lens through which to look it at it. And it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. And Paul writes, He goes, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. While you join in helping us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. And so that's the scripture where I think that really uh, is applicable for kind of where my story goes with this. Uh, it was it was September 2012. And uh, the girl that I was dating at the time was uh, in school at the University of Missouri, uh, getting her doctorate of physical therapy. And I had just graduated from Old Dominion. And it was kind of, you know, job starting, work starting. It's, you know, if we're going to see each other again here for the next little bit, now's probably the time to do it. We hadn't really gotten started at William & Mary yet. And so I flew out to Missouri, and uh, they had a big kind of a formal uh, celebration type thing on the weekend. And so I flew out there and, and spent Thursday in Columbia, Missouri, Uh, Friday was the formal dinner type thing. Uh, Saturday, we went to Mizzou's first ever SEC football game against Georgia, which was a blast. And then on Sunday, we went to church in the morning, got some lunch, and then we went hiking. And the hiking trip that we were on was about six to eight miles round trip. And we took the longer end of it. It was was about eight miles. And it was a bunch of intersecting trails. You could kind of make it as short or as long as you wanted it to. And so we went the long route. And it was just trail hiking; wasn't rocks or anything, you know, crazy like that, uh, you know, rock climbing. But uh, we're about six and a half miles in, and we climb up uh, a ridge, a little a little bluff there. And uh, this is roughly about a hundred feet or so of a climb; wasn't too awful bad. And at the top, uh, at the edge, was actually another shelf below the edge. It was about two feet down, and that extra shelf was about five to ten feet deep, 10, 15 feet wide. Plenty plenty of space that you could stand on and, and do things on, take some pictures, admire the view, and things like that. And so what we did was we sat down uh, on the top ledge there and, you know, then went to stand up on the shelf. Uh, Laura did and was fine. And when I stood up, everything that I had my feet on went out from underneath of me. So I go out over the edge and as I do, I start pitching forward. I reach back behind me to try to catch myself. Nothing really doing. I basically just ended up cutting my hands up pretty good on, on the rocks and I go out over the edge. And I free fall about 40 feet. I was in kind of a position of if you envision of like the downhill skiers that do the jumping in the Olympics where they, uh, they kind of stay at that, you know, 45 or whatever degree angle, kind of the whole way down as they're going uh, on their jump. That was kind of how I was. I didn't, I wasn't, you know, turning or twisting or anything like that. I just kind of fell straight down. And as I went over the edge, uh, my mind split into two different parts. One part, everything was going very fast, a mile a minute. There was a lot to process. But on the other half of my mind, I had some time to think. And it's weird to say that obviously all this happened uh, in pretty quick time. uh, But I had some time to think about what was going on. And the first thing through my head was, you're about to die. And I didn't know quite what that looked like. I'm sitting there going, I don't know if this is going to hurt. Am I going to lay there for a little bit? Do I... Pass out right before I hit, and just show up in heaven. Like I'm not, not real familiar with the whole dying thing, and so I, I didn't know how that was going to go. And the last thing through my mind was that 22 months prior to this, one of my best friends, Eli Layman, died in an almost identical accident. And I keep thinking to myself, going, "How do you know people from my friend group? You know, we're smart, we're athletic, we're you know, we're able to go hiking and stuff like that. How do we keep dying by falling off a cliff?" And that was the last thing through my mind before I went through a tree. And I go through this tree, and it kind of knocks me back into the side of the cliff. And to get a visual of the cliff, it's a lot like, you know, kind of using a local example here, going over Afton Mountain, where if you look over the edge, is it straight down? No. But is it straight down? Yeah, for all intents and purposes it is. Uh, It's certainly not a sheer cliff or anything like that, but it's, uh, it's certainly pretty steep. And so the tree knocks me back into this outcrop and the outcrop's about six seven feet around roughly uh just big enough for me uh to land on and i finish up there and i never lose consciousness though and i never got knocked out or anything like that but as i hit i, I come to and i kind of have my arms out to the side holding me there because the outcrop that i'm on is fairly steep and when I, as i land i hear laura go josh josh and this is how i know the timing worked out was because she said when she heard the branches stop breaking of me going through the tree uh, and then kind of hit, that's when she hollered. And I remembered her yelling down to me and I answered right back. And I said, yeah. She goes, are you okay? I go, I mean, I guess it's better than I thought it was going to be. And uh, she goes, uh, you know, what kind of assess your injuries and stuff a little bit there? And I'm looking around. I've got a lot of cuts all over the place. I can tell that that's a major concern. I see that I'm missing my left shoe. Not sure where that went. Uh, I look over and I see that my right index finger is about three times the size of what it should be. I've got some puncture wounds. I've got, I'm pretty banged up. I'm pretty banged up. And she goes, well, can you get up? And for the life of me, I could not get up. I could not make myself get up. Whenever I tell it to my players or something like that, athletically, I always say, it's like if you're maxing out on you know, bench or squat or trying to see how many push ups you can do, at some point, you just can't do them anymore. And I said, it was just like that, except it was just my body weight. And I could not get up off my back. And she yells down to me, Laura yells down, and she goes, Well, you know you have our cell phones, right? And I had been carrying both of my cell phones my personal phone, my work phone, and her phone because she didn't have any pockets. Uh, so doing the chivalrous thing kind of backfired on me there a little bit, but I said, yeah, you know, I, I know I do. And so I tried to get him, I tried to get a phone out. And as I did, I kind of slipped a little bit. And so we're like, okay, well let's, let's back off this. Let's back off this. Uh, and so we kind of, you know, talked about it a little bit more for very briefly there. And she goes, would well, you want me to stay or do you want me to go, you know, try to go get some help? And I go, well, I guess go get help because uh, I mean, there's no sense, uh, I mean, you just, you know, hollering back and forth at each other, you know, up and down the side of this cliff here, I I guess go get help, which fortunately she still had her car keys on a lanyard around her neck. So she was able to go do that. So as I'm laying there, like I said, I start to assess my injuries a little bit more about what's going on. And as I'm doing that, I start to realize that again, because the outcrop is pretty steep, I'm slowly starting to inch down this, uh, this little outcrop that I'm on. And I think to myself, I'm going, man, you, you've got to get out of here because if you don't, you're going to go out over the edge and you're going to fall again and you're going to die for real this time. You need to get out of here. And so I start trying to figure out kind of an escape plan for how to do that. I look to my left and I see a little sapling tree. Uh, I I compare it to if you ever read Beetle Bailey comics in the paper, things like that, when Beetle was hanging from the side of a cliff off the one lone tree. And it was just this little sapling all by itself. And I thought, well, hey, maybe I can grab hold of that and kind of use it for leverage to get turned around or something like that. And no sooner did I have that thought than all of a sudden, boom, in the back of my head, I had another thought. And I say it was a thought because I have no other better explanation for it. But it was like it was my own thought that didn't come from me. And it was like a friend talking to me, but that friend was completely authoritative. There was no questioning that whatsoever. And as I'm laying there, I uh you know, I hear this voice and it goes, No, 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 no. You're on the side of a cliff, the dirt's not real deep, the roots aren't gonna be real deep for that tree, make sure it can support you before you go yanking on it. I think to myself, that makes sense, okay, sure. So I just reach over and kind of lightly pull on it and it comes right out of the ground. The roots on it were probably no more than two inches long. Uh, So if I tried to put too much weight on it, I certainly would have gone over the edge. So I decided that, you know, that can't be the option for me for how I'm going to get out of here. So somehow or another, though, I get on my side. I kind of reach behind and I start standing up. And as I stand up or I'm able to get myself up and I'm going, okay, well, this is good. This is good. Let's uh, let's see if we can't get out of here. Let's see if we can't work our way out from the outcrop that I'm on. And so I start slowly working my way up the side of the cliff. Now, again, I don't want to underscore the miracle because, uh, you know, this again, wasn't a brick wall. I wasn't Spider-Man just, you know, scaling a sheer cliff. Uh, This is something that most people that were in shape should be able to do. But the kicker with all of this that I did not know at the time was that while most regular people in normal health could do it, I had just broken my neck in four different places. And I had no business moving, much less climbing, much less walking, much less doing anything else like that. Nevertheless, despite having four broken vertebrae in my neck at the time, I climb all the way back up to the trail. And as I stand there, I start to think to myself, and I go, well, you got out of here now. You know, I was I was worried on that outcrop with it being so steep. If something would shift or slip or something, you know, squirrely would happen that, you know, I would slip again or something like that. And so I get to the top and I'm like, well, you made it this far, bud. Why don't you see if you can't expedite things a little bit more? So I look back behind me. There's a couple about 60, 65 years old, roughly about 100 feet down the trail. And they were hiking at a pretty good pace. And and I thought to myself, I said, well, you can't let them catch you because uh, if they do catch you, they're going to make you stop. And so uh, it was not a great, uh, in hindsight, that was not exactly the right uh, posture to have, um, but that was kind of where my head was at. And so we take off down the trail, or I take off down the trail. They're behind me. They do eventually catch me, and as they stop, they kind of, they notice I'm banged up pretty good. They offer me some water. I drink uh, a couple of sips of it, and the lady was like, "No, go ahead, drink it all." So I drank some more. She gave me some tissues to wipe some of the blood, and they asked me. They say, "You know what happened?" And I told them. I said that I fell, and they did not get the pun very much intended at this time, uh, the gravity of the situation that I didn't just slip on the trail. Uh, I went off the trail. And so they, they like, okay, well, you know, you want us to stay here with you. I said, no, it's okay. You guys go on ahead. No problem. You you guys, you know, work your way down the trail. That's fine. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah, it's no problem. It's no problem. So they go on ahead. Um, and, and if you're ever in a situation where you're in the woods and it looks like that somebody you're with just got attacked by a bear, uh, stay with them. <laughs> Cause that's one thing where I thought was very, very funny, kind of, or more ironic as, you know, going through this where I'm like, boy, like if I look the way I did, they just were willing to leave me on the trail, huh? That's, that's an interesting move, but they, uh, they never got too far ahead of me. So we, we were okay. And at one point we actually got turned around a little bit and they stop and I, I catch up with them and they say, Hey, are you looking for the shooting star uh, trailhead parking lot? I said, yes, I am. So we actually got to go back this way, which again, you know, all the, the series of intersecting loops and stuff like that, it was easy for that to happen. So we get back on the right trail. And at this point, I start to basically just don't let them pass. And so, I, you know, I'm feeling uh, a little bit worse. I don't know what's wrong. You know, even though the whole time I was climbing back up, I had full grip strength and all that kind of stuff, even with my hand being as, as you know, messed up as it was, I start to realize that something's wrong. And I don't know exactly what that is, but, but something's messed up. And so as I'm doing this, uh, and they seem very content to just stay behind me, but as as I'm doing this, I start to think, well, you know, you ought to to pray about this. This isn't just going to be, I don't think this is quite as light of a treat and release or something like that as you think it might be. So as I'm thinking about, you know, well, yeah, we definitely should pray about this. Second time, voice hits me in the back of the head and it goes, no, 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 no. You need to go left, right, left, right. (laughs) Get yourself out of here. We've got your back. And that did not sink in at all. I took about ten more steps, same thought, same reply again, did not sink in, took about ten more steps, same thought, same reply, and so uh finally, on the third time it did it finally it finally took so to speak, and uh it, the we was very, very distinct. It could not have been any more distinct and I'm not exactly sure what the "we necessarily meant you know if you look if you look in Genesis, you know a lot of times we talk about you know God talks about himself as we with the trinity you know when it came to creation you know i don't know if it meant uh angels were with me i don't know if it meant that people were praying for me uh, any combination of the three or, or another meaning i'm not sure but the we we've got your back was incredibly distinct and so as as we're going down the trail uh, we actually at one point start to hear the sirens coming and uh there was a lot of them <laughs> and the people i was with the couple they go hey uh you know, that, that seems like a lot of, you know, fire trucks, a lot of ambulances going on here. I wonder what's going on. And I just looked at him and I went, yeah, they're, they're coming for me. And it didn't really sink in for quite where, what was going on with all of that. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And so we do. We finally make it out. And there are about six ambulances, five fire trucks, half a dozen, ten or so pickup trucks there from volunteer firefighters. Uh, all of these people thought they were going to have to do search and rescue. Because nobody knew that I, was, uh, that I was out and about and moving around on my own. <laughs> and so they spazzed out a little bit when they saw me. They, they told me to stop, stand down, and, and not come any farther. And I'm sitting there, and, and in the back of my head, I think it's almost humorous because I'm going, well, I, I just hiked, you know, I climbed up a cliff and hiked about a mile and a half. I can probably make it another 20, 25 feet to your ambulance. But they were incredibly insistent. And so I, I stopped, and they come over to me, and they say, well, what What hurts? you know, where are you hurt at? I'm like, man, I don't know. Like my whole body is right now. And he goes, what specifically? Like, I'm telling you, man, like it is just top to bottom, everything. I said, you know, I, I was a catcher in college. Uh, and, and it's like, I just got run over at the plate. Like, I don't, I don't have a certain pain. It's just, yes, <laughs> there is pain. And he goes, okay, well, if you could pinpoint to one thing. And I said, well, if it's one thing, I'd say my neck. And I'm pretty sure I hadn't even got the CK in neck out of my mouth before I was in a neck brace. Because when you say you have a neck injury to EMTs and, and things like that, uh, they lose their mind <laughs> and rightfully so. And they got me in a uh, neck brace just like that. I mean, it was fast as could be. And so now I'm standing there with a neck brace and I can't really look down because obviously the neck brace is doing its job of immobilizing my neck. And so the guy that's in charge, he bends down and squats down. He says, all right, well, I want to lift up your shirt and kind of assess the rest of your injuries, basically make sure I didn't You know, pale myself on a stick or something like that. And as he goes through all that, he lifts up my shirt, so I can't see what he sees. I can just see his face, and as as he as he looks at me, he just has this look of disgust and horror and terror and sickening all wrapped up in one, which was not a great feeling for me because I couldn't see what he saw. I could only see him, and I'm kind of going, "Hey, man. Hey, hi." I can see you. Please have some better bedside manner. I'd like for you not to be <laughs> you know, messing with me like this here. And he calls his second in command over and goes, write this down, write this down. Multiple cuts, scrapes, abrasions, contusions, lacerations. Wow. That's really repetitive to kind of say all the same thing there, but that doesn't sound good. Uh, and it come to find out that I had cuts when it was about 70 to 80% of my body and they were straight up and down. They were sideways. They were at a diagonal. They were all over the place. It looked Basically, it was described to me like I looked like I went and laid down in a thorn bush and flopped around a little bit, uh, which mostly we would assume came from me going through the tree. So they gave me all of that. I had an impact bruise on the left side of my body that went from above my hip to my knee, just one bruise. And that's kind of where we are guessing that I landed just because I had no, no, uh, you know, I didn't land on my head or flat on my back or anything like that, or or any problems like that. So we figure I probably landed on my side onto the outcrop but nevertheless, they get me all, all squared away with that in a, in a stretcher, and they get me up in the ambulance. And as we go away, uh, we're heading towards the hospital. And as soon as we take off, we we haven't been on the road very long at all. And all of a sudden, my right index finger, that was you know the two or three times uh, bigger than what it should have been, starts throbbing. Yeah, I mean it is it is a pain. It was probably about the, as worse of a pain as I had felt for the duration of this entire of this entire uh, story. And I'm going, what in the world is going on here? I had full grip strength. I was fine. I could climb. I could hike. Why all of a sudden is this thing just killing me right now? And for the third time, the voice hits me in the back of the head, and it goes, no, 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 no. It's okay. They're here now. It's their turn. Okay. Fair enough. Sounds good. So we get to the hospital, and they run. This is Sunday night. They run every every battery of tests on me that, that i could even possibly begin to imagine because they're trying to figure out why an otherwise healthy 20 something year old would just all of a sudden fall off the side of a cliff and you know they're asking me they're going you know were you doing anything that you probably shouldn't have been were you jumping around had you been drinking had you done this and i'm like no 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 none, none to all of that i was just hiking that's exactly what i said with the footing and where i you know put weight on and it is what it is And so I'm not sure they totally bought all that until they were finished running all of their tests. And so finally, what they came to establish was uh, that I had broken four vertebrae. So they're starting to figure out kind of what the overall prognosis is going to be for kind of how we're going to go about treating this and everything. And, you know, we're we're going through all these tests. And one thing I remember about that night very distinctly was uh, the names of all the people. And even throughout this story, the names of the people that I would encounter uh, when I was in the hospital, because, and and, and I believe that names have significance and meaning and things like that. And it was very fitting. Some of the names that I came across. So when, when I got to the hospital, the people that my nurses, uh, for the first room, they got me in was a guy named Max and and a woman named grace. I'm like, Max grace. That's uh, okay. Perfect. Great. So is Jesus, my doctor, which and obviously he is, he's, he's the great physician, but you know, I'm sitting there going, Max grace. Cool. Okay. Um, a guy that was did some stitches on me, his name was Jackson, which was where actually uh, where I had gone to junior college at. And so I'm like, well, that's kind of cool too, you know. They, they get me in a room, and they start to kind of come up with this plan for what they're going to do. And uh, I call my folks and kind of let them know what happened. And I uh, might have slightly downplayed it a little bit to them about the extent of the injuries. Uh, and in fairness, I didn't know all of them myself. And they say a broken vertebrae. I kind of thought when you cracked your neck or broke your neck, like, you, you just died. So I I didn't really know quite what that meant. Um, but again, we, we were going through this and and Monday they ran some more tests and then they start talking surgery and things like that. And, uh, at that point, I, you know, I relay that, that information to my parents and they, they start looking for flights and stuff and ways to get from Harrisonburg from Bridgewater to uh, Columbia, Missouri. And the problem is, is that there's no real easy way to get there. They'd either have to go to Dulles or Reagan or Charlottesville or Roanoke, you know, Richmond, somewhere to fly out of. So that's, you know, an hour two plus drive to get to the airport. Then they'd have to go through security and do all that kind of stuff, you know, pre-flight. I think all of them had connecting. They had to uh, had layover somewhere, had stops, and then you still had to fly into either Kansas City or St. Louis, which is two hours east and west respectively of Columbia. So then you have to rent a car and still drive two more hours. Uh, I think it was also, I think roughly just a little over a thousand dollars per person one way. And they're like, well, for the time we're not even guaranteed to get there in time before they want to start talking about surgeries on Tuesday. Let's just drive it. So they went to work all day Monday and got in the car after work and hoofed it straight out 64 all the way to Columbia. So they drive all the way out to Columbia, Missouri, and and they get there very early uh, Tuesday morning when they were talking about doing the first surgery and uh, as they go through all of the list and everything like that of what the surgery is going to look like they go through very painstaking detail of you're going to you know everything's fine right now but as we pull your vertebrae back together we could nick something and you could lose some feeling in this you could lose all feeling in this And, and they worked their way up basically from one toe to your whole foot to knee down to waist down they worked their whole way up my body to the end they said or you know there is a chance that we could that we could lose you on the table and uh there was a, a tear that kind of came out of my eye there. And I raised my hand and I just said, uh, I felt like I needed to say something. I didn't know what I was going to say. And I raised my hand the doctor says, do you have a question? And I did not know what I was going to say until I opened my mouth. And I just knew I needed to say something. But my answer to him was, I know somebody that can bring the dead back to life. I don't think a couple broken bones is Amen. going to be any trouble for him. Amen. And so with that, he, we had a very awkward 15 or so second stare off because he did not understand what I was talking about. He wrote something on his chart, which I'm sure was along the lines of reduced pain meds, and uh, said, okay, well, well, that sounds good, and we'll be in here in a little bit to uh, to get you for your first surgery.
0: Well, uh, Josh, uh, thank you for sharing this part of your testimony with us, and unfortunately, we're out of time for today, but uh, would you mind joining me uh, next Sunday uh, for part two of your testimony? Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, Josh. And uh, it just sounds like a miraculous situation already that you were able to get up after such a far fall. And, uh, but you're not out of the woods yet, it sounds like. Uh, still some serious surgery that needs to take place. And uh, so I look forward to hearing that next week on Front Porch Talks. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I pray that the first part of Josh Tutwiler's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. I'd also like to invite you to join us again next Sunday at noon right here on 1470 AM and 102.1 FM WBTX as Josh will be sharing the second part of his testimony. I pray you have a wonderful day. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.